importance of talking about mental health within the creative arts. My name is Cathy Reed, And I'm Scarlett Maltman. And this week we are joined by the lovely Anne-Marie Lewis-Thomas, who is the principal of the MTA, otherwise known as the Musical Theatre Academy. Hello Anne-Marie. Hello girls. How are you today? I'm very well indeed. How are you two? Yeah, we're good. I'm great now that I've had some biscuits. <laughs> We've been treated to some jammy dodgers and a cup of tea. And before half past ten. <laughs> All very exciting. And I must say, it's really lovely to be in the MTA. It already feels like such a warm and accepting place. So, we are going to start with a little game, aren't we? Oh yeah, we are. Are you ready, Anne-Marie? Yep. So you say the first thing that comes into your head, you know the drill. Okay, principle. Have some reports. Nonsense. Ham omelette. Cheese. Helping. Always. Success. In your head. Sunday. Lying. Laughter. Always. <laughs> I love that. Last one. Showcase. Nonsense. <laughs> I love it. You're brilliant. <laughs> So, Anne-Marie, as we have said, you are the principal and the founder of the Musical Theatre Academy. Uh, Just to start us off, why did you set up this school initially? Starting your own business is really hard, so, or would you call it a business, maybe? Talk us through the the process of that. Okay, well, I guess by definition it is a business, because it's an industry, but it's it's not something I knew about, so I'd never, I'd never started a business before, even though we're all self-employed, so we're all our own business. Mm-hmm. Um, I started it for two reasons. I was, I'm a musical director, and I didn't particularly like all the things I was seeing in graduates that were leaving at that time, bearing in mind this was many, many years ago, and so I, I couldn't quite understand where, where things had gone wrong. I just felt people weren't getting it right straight away, or people were expecting things too much, and things change in the industry that I didn't particularly like so I was getting a bit moany and then as my crap job I taught or as you guys now call it your muggle job I taught uh, and I didn't like what I was seeing at the colleges that I was working at really so I became moany about that as well and it was suggested to me that I either put up or shut up so I put up and uh, and there I was with the college that's how I started it amazing and then what was it that you saw in those graduates many years ago that flagged in your brain? I think it was just that people had sort of forgotten to learn their craft and to take their time and to be respectful to people and to just... And definitely not all of them. And, it, you know, there's there's always really great people out there. But I was just seeing it more and more. And I don't know, things like giving notes had become a chore and people had seemed to forgot what it was to be a good company member. Um People started to be selfish, I think, and it took the joy out of theatre. Yeah. Well, that's a bit dramatic. It wasn't the joy out of theatre, but it just became a bit harder work than it used to be. And not that I'm afraid of hard work, but it wasn't nice hard work. It was just dealing with people's attitudes, which I thought was unnecessary. Because, yeah. you know, we're not saving lives. We're all having a nice time. So you don't have to be, you don't, just don't have to be a diva. Yeah. So I, I didn't like that. I didn't like people leaving college instantly thinking they were brilliant. I think yeah. we are never all brilliant. We are always learning. Yeah. Um, so when you first put the pen to the paper went right I'm going to start up my own school what were the first initial thoughts that you had of right this is definitely what I want my co- my college to be like to make it a safe supportive place and make it really different to what's out there at the moment it, it, it all happened by default I didn't try to I 
my idea wasn't, oh, I know, I'll do a really innovative college. That, that didn't even enter my head at all. So all I needed to do was be practical. So um, things like before we even found a space, I just thought it was a waste of money to be hiring a space that you don't use for three months a year because of holidays. Yes. So to me, it seemed to make sense to work through those holidays and change, change it to a four-term year. And then I'd be doing that, it made me realise we didn't need three years, that we could do it in two years. So it was just thinking practically as opposed to, oh, I know, this is a great idea. And actually, once I did that, I found out that there's a college in, in the States that were doing it as well. So it's like, well, it must work because somebody else is doing it. Um, I found out that they were doing it once we were already doing it, I should say. Um, so but it was a bit of a relief when I discovered that it was possible. Um, so that that was the first thing, making it a two-year course, not a three-year course, but just through practical reasons and thinking financially what, what it would cost to have a, an empty building for three months a year. And then uh, the other thing that I wanted, I wanted all the staff to be working in the industry because working at other colleges, I would just despair, really, that... I think if we're all coming from the same base, it's really easy to work with people. But if you've got a couple of people that have never left their institution, um, you're, you're all singing from a different hymn sheet, I think. Whereas I felt that if all staff were working, we would all know how to d deal with everything because we're all... We want people to go into the industry. We want them to be industry ready by the time they finish. So we should all just know what the industry needs. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't been out there for a little while or you haven't been successful in there, you have a different attitude, I think. So I wanted my entire faculty to be working in the industry. And then we had to find a way to make that work. But um, And that was actually quite easy because, well, it just was. Actually, not, not because, it just really was. Yeah. Um, that seemed to be the most controversial thing I'd said uh, back in 2008 when I announced it. Well, actually, 2009, there was a thing on the stage that they came to see our first set of auditions. And because I'd said in the interview, in the, in the interview that we were only hiring people that work in the industry... Oh my goodness, it all kicked off. There, there was a forum then on the stage and people were slating me for saying it. They called me arrogant for thinking that, 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 I don't know, that you could only be a good teacher if you were working in the industry. And I hadn't said that. I just said I just wanted brilliant teachers who were working in the industry. Anyway, but I, who even knew that was controversial, but it was. Um, and then I wanted to do a performance every term because I think you learn the most when you're performing. And I knew that all my staff would be like me, using this as our muggle jobs. So we wouldn't want to keep teaching. We'd all like to have a lovely show at the end of it. And if I'm a student, I, whilst I know all my technique is really important, waiting for two years or three years to put that into practice, I didn't see the point of that. So that seemed to me to be very logical. And then I suppose the, the biggest thing, and I guess the reason that you guys are here, is I wanted a counsellor at the heart of the college. So I've, I've taught all, all my sort of adult life, and... I, as a singing teacher, I know that as soon as somebody comes into a singing lesson, they're as likely to just burst into tears. Mm -hmm. um, and what I felt like at the other places I was working, there was nowhere to take those people. There was nowhere to put those people and to keep them safe. So I used to stay late at all the colleges I worked at, just speaking to people and trying to do a bit of extra pastoral care. Um, but I wanted to make sure that at my college, there was a person that people could go to and a person who actually knew what they were talking about not me having a little go with life experience. Um, and and that's how we ended up sort of, sp I, not specialised, but that's, that's how the MTA sort of became unique, I suppose, because the person that we had as the counsellor, and again, this is all accidental, it was happened to be a mental health specialist, uh, a, a, a mental health specialist nurse. And the only reason we had her is because it's my wife and she was free. So it, it she was there as a counsellor and it, turned into we realised that we needed much more.
So those were all the things that set it apart, but every single thing was accidental. Um, and then in 2014, we ex expanded and we did, now we're sort of split stage and screen. But it's, I think it's just about always moving with the industry. I think it's that really. So briefly just chat to us about hashtag time for change. Um, I'm sure all of our listeners have seen this on various forms of social media. Um, why did you set this up and just chat to us what time for change is? Okay, so time for change it was um, it was us trying to get out the, into the industry that there's a mental health problem, and no, I don't think people were accepting it. So, so sort of going back to actually how the college started. So we ended up with this mental health counsellor, uh, or mental health specialist who was a counsellor, um, and what we discovered here was that we, what we had, and I've said you know I've said this several times on the record, what what was happening over the course of the first few years is that we realised a lot of people had mental illnesses. And people didn't know they had mental illnesses. And so they were being sent to our counsellor. Her name's Angie Peake, because she wrote Time for Change, so she should be credited. Um, they were being sent to her just for, you know, whatever was wrong, or they were choosing to go to her. And they kept coming back saying that they'd been cause diagnosed with, I don't know, anxiety, depression, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. But we seemed to just have a lot of people. Um, and I said quite famously to Angie, well, not famously in my own head, uh, but <laughs> I said to Angie that I thought she was just being a little bit overdramatic, that clearly we can't, we're a tiny, tiny college, we only take a maximum of 22 people every year. There was no way that we just had everybody that was ill. There was just no way. It was just, it just seemed a little bit ludicrous. So I thought she was, because, you know, Angie's got a proper job, so I thought she was just being a bit oversensitive and just being a little bit overcautious. And I was going, no, no, they're not, they're just performers you know and that's just what performers are like mm -hmm. so I think you're being a little bit OTT because it's, so many were coming back with a diagnosis but of course they'd go to the doctor and to get that diagnosis confirmed and it she was always right which you know as a wife is really frustrating <laughs> so so everybody not everybody but a large percentage of our students were having uh, difficulties that, that we were speaking about and it made both Angie and myself actually look outside of of us to kind of see what was going on and there was a, a survey done in New Zealand with backstage crew because of some suicides over there um, and it, they discovered there is one in three in, in people involved in the performing arts both on stage and off stage suffer from mental illness and all of a sudden, it's kind of all made sense that it wasn't just us. So it's one in four, isn't it, mine, say, in, in, in Civvy Street. And here it's one in three. And nobody in this country was talking about it at all. But actually, that one in three made sense to us because that's that's sort of what we're seeing, if not even more. Um, I have my own personal theory that I've had for years and years that people all go into the arts for escapism, whether it's escaping from life, escaping from their mind, whatever it is, they go in to run away. And of course, to be brilliant, you have to stop and look in the mirror, and that's really hard. So I think drama colleges, they, I don't believe they create a mental illness. You're, you've obviously got that, you're susceptible to it anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but I think they can actually hold the mirror up and make you see that you have it, or it, you can feel exposed, and that brings it all up to the surface, I suppose. So as soon as we kind of had empirical evidence as to, yeah, it's not just us, I started talking about it a lot on social media and started blogging. I blog and I vlog quite a bit. And I started blogging about everybody should be doing more about mental health. And I'm talking from a point of view of being actually quite, I don't know, quite cynical about mental illness and thinking everybody should just get on with it, to be fair. Um, and, and thinking that it was people just not 
being resilient, which is the big thing at the moment, is everybody's going, oh, everybody needs to be resilient. We're not having a resilient youth. That's why they all think they're ill. And it's like such a load of nonsense. Um, but I was in that category, I suppose. I th equally thought people should just get on with it until what we saw here was I saw people getting treated and I saw the difference in their lives and saw people growing very, very quickly, actually. Um, so it's very hard when you see actual, practical, real-life people changing in front of you to not believe it. And we were seeing it, you know, monthly, we'd be seeing transformations in people. So you can't be cynical then. You can't think people just have to get on with it because you you understand what's gone on to make them well or make them better on the road to recovery. So anyway, so I kept banging, banging on about it and I was trying to get... Um, everybody at the time drama uk were accrediting colleges so i asked drama uk and i'm not very good at this i'm not very good at sitting on a fence i'm welsh i kind <laughs> of just bulldoze i don't i don't know i run an organization where if you want something to do in you just do it and that's that's how i like to operate so i thought i could just say to everybody look there's a mental health problem let's all deal with it i, I really did think it was that simple and it turned out it wasn't because everybody went no well firstly there's not a problem then, well, it's not our problem. Um, and nobody would deal with it. Drama UK wouldn't enforce a mental health policy on colleges. In fact, they wouldn't enforce a pastoral care policy on colleges. They just, I think their exact words at that time was that the, everybody did have a pastoral care policy and it's up to the colleges to know how they, how they would run it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we can all write a policy. A, a booklet can be anything, but it doesn't mean that it's actually working. Mm -hmm. So, and then, uh, because I'm Welsh... I, that really got my goat because I what or sheep really. If I was <laughs> but anyway, so anyway, that 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 got, that got my animal, and uh, and I just thought, oh, how dare you not be listening? Because and people started to contact me saying they were also at a college and things weren't going well and there was nowhere to go. So I was like, oh god, well somebody's got to keep speaking up. So that's what we did. So we kept speaking up. I don't speak up in the best way. I can be combative because I th I don't know. I just think. Every moment we're not doing anything, lives are being lost. And we have to do something. So no doubt I've offended loads of people along the way. But it's like, that that would be great if we've saved a life. Like, I don't mind offending people. I just want to not be dramatic. But we could make a huge difference here. And I don't mean, so by saving life, I don't even mean by people sadly ending their lives as a symptom. Let's stress that it's a symptom of mental illness. But people could live a better life. And that, that's, you know, that's really important. Anyway, so I, I kept banging on social media. Nobody would listen to me, or I'd got a, quite a few uh, insulting emails sent my way because I was shouting about it. Um, and then I decided to open a conference and do a conference for t drama schools to try to... Um, I'm laughing because like, nobody turned up, but to, to try to get people to come and talk about mental health. And so we did the Time for Change conference. <laughs> and it was just... a. It, it was not a waste of time because it created time for change, but we had a couple of people that turned up, um, and some people that have been really influential as well in the campaign, like Pat O'Toole from Rose Bruford, who was brilliant. And with a few people that turned up, everybody saw the same problem. So it just wasn't us, even though we knew it wasn't us. You know, we everybody had it, but nobody would do anything about it, and nobody could think of how to do anything about it. Equity were at that meeting, and were just about to plan Arts Minds, their website, which is great. Um, but I felt that we needed to be proactive, not reactive about things. Um, and again, I couldn't wait for Art Minds to open, so I just wanted to push ahead and do something. We couldn't think of anything in that meeting, so uh, Angie and myself 
thought about Time for Change and the Charter and how maybe we could set something up that would introduce mental illness from a very early stage. Uh, and Angie, who should be credited completely because she wrote the Charter. And the Charter then is is designed to to do a few things really. For people who have got mental illnesses, who might not even realise that they've got it because maladaptive coping me mechanisms, because that's what we were finding here. So it is written to kind of, um, if you've done a maladaptive coping mechanism all your life, hopefully you read Time for Change and go, God, I do that, I think like that. Oh, this might be this. Therefore, I might be able to think differently and my life could be a little bit better for that, is kind of the idea. Mm -hmm. And if you're well and it doesn't affect you, then I guess you just read it and just think, oh, okay, it's, it's a waste of paper mm -hmm. or I'll keep it for somebody else, I don't know. So it is designed to be provocative. It is designed to, uh, to, to for people to realise that it's them, really. So that's what it does. It kind of highlights the top illnesses, for want of a better term, the ones that we were seeing the most here of or we know is the most in our industry. And hopefully people read it and get spurred on to get help. And what it does, it doesn't. it's not alarmist. It's about, you know, on, on Time for Change, on the Charter, it's very clear that everything is solvable. Every, fixable, I suppose is a bad word, but you can get help. Your life could be better if you deal with it. So that was the point. Uh, I knew, I felt confident that initially drama colleges wouldn't um, take it up, even though that's who I was aiming at. Um, because also, and I get that, you know, one drama college saying to another drama college, why do you do this? That's, and we're not, we're not in the club, we're not part of the federation, we're not part of, you know, the old school. We're, we're just us out on a limb shouting it out. <laughs> so, so I didn't have those inroads to people. So what I felt I needed to do was to go in a different direction and get loads of people to sign it which would, might encourage drama colleges to look at it. And that's what we did. And I went to agents. I went to agents, first of all, and production companies, and asked them to sign. Uh, so if you're an agent, you sign the charter, and you send out that charter with every client, to every client that, that is in your books. And I have to say, the agents have been phenomenal. Agents get a lot of bad press, don't they? But they were brilliant, because I guess they were dealing with it firsthand all the time. Yeah. So agents signed up. I mean, I think we've got about 60-odd agents on the, on, our, on the charter at the moment. I don't remember the exact numbers anymore. But um, but they were just phenomenal. I mean, I didn't have to persuade any agent. I just sent it out. And, you know, and I don't know these agents, but they all agreed that there was a need for it. So there was that. Uh, production companies, again, I'm quite lucky. I've worked in the industry a long time, so I could speak to people of, of a certain level that, would, uh, that were very gracious and equally signed the charter and for them if somebody's under contract with that company they send out the charter with it because that's all we're trying to do was get the information out there yeah. I mean my, in my dream that's all I wanted to, to happen actually was either equity or spotlight to take on the charter and just send it out to all their members um, and f for their own reasons they they felt like they couldn't do that so and that you know that's absolutely fine it, it I felt we could have been more collaborative with that uh, and in the end, Equity, I think they posted it somewhere or put it on one of their newsletters or something. Mm -hmm. But I felt we could have got a, a wider coverage much quickly, much, much quicker, much quickly, much <laughs> quicker. Uh, so anyway, so then armed with um, a couple of really big agencies and a couple of big production companies, Rose Bruford, thanks to Pat O'Toole, they signed up straight away. So by the time we launched the charter, and Mark, Mark Shenton very kindly launched it for us in the stage, um, we actually had some very big names attached to it very quickly, which then, of course, everybody looks at. Yeah. And it didn't take that long to for people to look at it and to talk to us. 
and and now I can't remember it's about 19 colleges we've got and with a lot of the colleges we work quite closely with them to make them to help them to understand the difference between pastoral care and mental health um so so it's more than just we give out the charter we also work closely with them to try to help them to facilitate what we think the charter means so if you're a college and you sign up for the charter all of your students get the charter for starters and then not not in your first week not in the not even necessarily in your first term but at some point all the students have a mental health education lesson and to, to, to like talk through the charter, to understand what mental illness is, because I think that's one of the things we have to understand it, to make it okay, make it okay not to be okay, as the new hashtags goes. Um, and for also for all your staff to get educated, because staff don't know. And also staff might be the one in three, so actually everybody needs that charter, so all their staff should have the charter. So And, and that's how it grew, and at the moment we've got 130 organisations that have now signed up to it. Um, and hopefully are still handing out the charter if you're listening yeah. uh, so that's it because the, the, the only sad thing about it is that we can't police it yeah. Um, yeah. And, it and that's the hard thing because you kind of want to make sure that it's being used properly yeah. but at least it's out there and it's available we've also got a website that people can just get the charter which I think is time for change something dot something yeah yeah I can't remember quite what, what the title is because Pat did that but anyway so it's, there's, there's lots of ways you can get the charter even if you're not signed up to it yeah so obviously Time for Change is something that is um, still relatively new within the industry uh, and you're still getting people on board. Um, obviously there won't really be an, an end goal because mental health is something that's always going to affect people, but what do you hope that it will develop into within the next few years? Uh, firstly, I think more people should sign up for it. I mean, the, the government have just um, announced that they're doing their own mental health charter, which actually is practically the same as ours mm-hmm. so um universities are going to have to sign up for a mental health charter anyway so i think i would love my my goal would be that all colleges just sign up for it and people don't make it a political thing about colleges that they just see it as we can all help each other in different areas and this could be a good way of helping everybody um so i'd like to see everybody sign up for the charter i'd like to see all of our industry have the charter or something similar not even you know so about us is something out there that is proactive uh, that's the thing um but then if i'm honest what i'd ideally love is that all drama colleges started to take a whole school approach to mental health that's what i think is vital i don't know how people achieve that i know you know that that's what we do here so we go way above what the, what the charter does um and i just would like everybody to I'd, I'd love all drama colleges to do that i think it's completely impractical but that would be my end goal so it's an impractical one but you know you can wish so um what support do you offer your students here um we've spoken to a lot of actors and creatives who have attended drama school and all of them apart from one have said that they didn't necessarily feel supported in an emotional way whilst training and especially people who trained quite a few years ago have been told to like just suck up leave it at the door it's not for this um why isn't there as much support in other drama schools uh, I don't feel like I can talk about other drama schools because I'm not in them and I don't know what they're offering. Um, I can tell you what we offer here, and, and that's because because I know that category. Yeah. Um, so here we have a, a counsellor. We have Angie, who is 
known to the students. In fact, our, our first years will be meeting her next week. Because I think that's one of the things that it's great when colleges are saying, oh, I've got a, we've got counsellors, it's all here. But if you don't know who they are, mm-hmm. and if you're in the middle of a struggle, you, you can't walk it, you can't, hell, you can't even walk into your own bedroom sometimes without being scared, let alone walking into a complete stranger to tell them that your life's terrible. So I think it's really important that you see the counsellor. I think that it's important that the counsellor is a a presence as opposed to just in a room. So our students are introduced to Angie very quickly. Uh, you know, they see her, she comes and talks to them so that they know who, they, who, who it is that's there to support them. Um, so here, the... Our students have got, first of all, they've got two members of staff on call 24-7, 365 days a year. So whatever is going on, whatever time of night, there is somebody on call. One of those people is Angie. So that means they've got mental health support all the time, constantly. They, uh, it's a confidential service that we offer here, but they, so they go directly to her. They don't have to go through a system. They don't have to sign up for counselling. But again, we're a very small college, so we can, we can do that. Um, we also, because we're, college for life um, one of our policies is that our, our graduates still have ongoing support so the 24 7 365 days a year thing that's for our graduates as well which means that everybody has a, a lifeline I suppose to a mental health specialist if they're in difficulty but also if, if they've just got an everyday difficulty then they've got somebody they can just uh, call uh, without having to go through me or anybody else um, so it's that uh, we don't limit how many sessions the students have with a counsellor they can just go until they feel until they're discharged really until they're genuinely well if we discover that or suspect that there's a mental health problem maybe that they know about or that they don't know about uh, Angie will then liaise directly with the GP and uh, maybe help that student have that conversation or write what she thinks uh, you know angie is qualified to the level she can diagnose and prescribe we do not pri- prescribe at this college but she's of that level so she can have that sort of i don't know medical chat with people yeah. as opposed to me calling them up going i think they're not well uh, she can be very prescriptive about what what they need uh, she'll then explain to the students what the various treatments are because you know it's talking therapy there's me- medication chemical therapy uh, and it's about explaining that and helping that uh, then in addition here, because so we don't we don't treat pastoral care as this little thing in its in its own. We we don't tend to work with the students till we know what, where they're coming from and what they're like. So because that's the thing is you know we've just got a first year group starting now, but we I don't know anything about their past. I don't know what I'm dealing with, so I can't just go straight in with hardcore. I am an actor. Tell me your deepest darkest secrets. I don't I don't know what they're already dealing with so here we want to find that out first and we just spend a little bit of time getting to know them and then if we happen to find out that there's something wrong and people tend to open up quite quite quickly here because I guess our culture is all about just talk about yourself and just expose what's wrong with you um and increasingly actually students come here uh, having named that they've got mental health difficulties so we know straight away so it's not even a secret about that because that's the thing in it people don't talk about it um anyway so they they'll they'll contact angie they'll have as much support as they need from her uh, they can come and talk to me uh, surprisingly i'm kind of all right for that um and, and that's it so it's just always somebody here i don't we, you know in the old in the old days people would go there's an open door policy but that's that, that's all 
nonsense, isn't it? Because unless it's the person that can understand what they're looking for, that any bloody door can be open, but it's got to be the right person speaking to you. And it's not just about somebody going, oh, it's going to get better. You want somebody who's going to give you good practical advice. And because of the one in three, what we're finding here is that very often when people come to talk to you, there is a bigger problem. And whether that's a life problem or a mental health problem, and uh, we will support those people to get the right help that they need, liaise with with the with their GPs. If there's a care plan in place, depending on how ill they are, you know, if they're severely depressed, then that's got to be a very very careful care plan that that we put in place. But we do that. Staff are told on a need to know basis. Um, there's kind of no secrecy here. The, the students tend to tell us here, actually. They tend to tell everybody if they're ill. Um, just like you would, you know, if you had a sprain, everybody would see you limping. So it's a little bit the same here that if you've if you've suddenly discovered that you've got an illness, a mental a mental illness, they just tend to say. Um, there's no, there's absolutely no stigma. I, I think the people that feel in the minority are the ones that are really well and healthy. Yeah. So, but we all know how to deal with it, and because everybody's different, aren't they? Everybody's anxiety is a bit different. So, some people want to be left on their own. Some people need a hug. Some people just want to chat to you. So, people tend to tell us that they've got these problems and tell us how they need us to deal with them. So, as a college, we're all dealing with it all the time. So, it's just an ongoing support, and it's not, so it's not an add-on. It's at the it's at the crux of the course. Yeah. It's absolutely yeah. at the crux of the course, and I think it, it I, it, that you know that's the whole school approach really. If, if somebody is desperately ill, if somebody is ill to the point that maybe uh, they have suicidal tendencies, then wherever possible we'll liaise with families, but again we'll keep them at college and we we will manage the risk, and but the risk is you know very carefully managed. Yeah. Because that's the thing, it's, it's about trying to carry on uh, not as normal. So people will be here and they might be very unwell, but they so they might not be in class, but they're still in college. Because actually getting out of your bed is a really good thing. Lying in bed, being depressed, not good. Coming into college, lying down on the sofa in the green room, good. Because we can keep an eye on you. And also eventually that, that cloud lifts a little bit and you can just walk to class as opposed to have to get into college and think about it. But again... Because it's so normal here, nobody thinks twice about somebody having a, a sort of breakdown on the sofa because that's what kind of happens, but we all, we're all okay with it. Okay. So the emotional support is just a constant. It's not a, this is how we do it. It's just, it's, it's everywhere. Everybody understands mental illness. Everybody knows how to support it. And if they don't, we've got members of staff that do. Just on that note, um, how have you noticed the quality and the performers that then go out into the industry. Um, I'm a Conte grad and, you know, like I left with great training, but then emotionally I was absolutely battered down, like low confidence, everything. What observations have you seen from your students, you know, coming into this safe, supportive atmosphere, talking about mental health and then going out into the industry and then, you know, coming back and telling you? Uh, well, I think the the... The greatest answer to that is that 76% of my graduates are still in the industry. So I believe that bucks the trend. Um, and I believe that's because they go out as robust. And, you know, I, I hope the majority, I, I don't know, there might be one sitting out there now going, no, I didn't. Um, I hope the majority felt that they were supported and they've gone out as strong as they possibly can be. Not pretending to be strong, but truly strong and truly well. Um and of course, if they if they do feel 
battered ones throughout the industry, then College for Life means they come back anyway. And they contact us. If they have a relapse, they contact us. If they're having a bit of a wobble, they contact us. So actually, ongoing support is there. But I'd, I'd like to think that our, our, we call our graduates ambassadors, I'd like to think that um, our ambassadors are out there strong and happy in themselves. Mm-hmm. And happy performers tend to be working performers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that you know, they're doing really well. And if they're not doing well, if they're having a, a, a crap time, which we all have every so often in the industry, they can either come back here and just kind of have a little whatever it is they need. Mm-hmm. Um or they're sort of confident in themselves enough to know that they're still okay and that the time will come when they'll work. Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that 74% of our graduates are still in the industry says that they are robust and that they're happy and healthy. Mm-hmm. I really have to add on as well. I think it's absolutely incredible that you still offer emotional support to your graduates as well. I think that's absolutely incredible. Congratulations on everything that you've worked towards. I think it's brilliant. I think I think a college has a, a responsibility, and I think we have to take that responsibility. A bit like the, you know, the, if if you're if you're working with young, or if you're working with anybody, that you know, they're paying for more than just dancing, singing, and acting lessons. Mm-hmm. They're they're paying to to be the best version of them that of themselves that they can be. So, of course, you have to support them once they've left because that can change. Any, our industry can be very cruel sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you, you just want a base to come back to and know that you're okay. Like we're no really, good, we're not really any good for the graduates when they're doing really well, because like life is making them sail away and they're really happy. Mm-hmm. But we're brilliant when when things are going badly. Yeah. But I I believe that's our moral responsibility. Yeah. So the MTA has won uh, the Stage School of the Year twice, within ten. <laughs> Within 10 years, which is, you've only been open 10 years. It's crazy. Um, why do you think this is? Uh, we're so thrilled about this because, because we, we don't, we're vocational. So we don't offer any uh, degree or diploma that is known to mankind except us. Um, so we can't, I suppose, in real terms, say that we're doing a good job, even though our stats, I feel, prove that we do. Mm-hmm. So actually, for us, winning the Stage School of the Year Award has been really major because it's quite nice to get some sort of, I don't know, seal of approval, I guess. So the first time we won it was in 2012, and we won it for our innovative course, which, as we've already established at the beginning, wasn't designed to be innovative. It just happened to have ended up as being innovative. Um, and that it was really lovely. And I think our citation, which we always quote, is that they recognise us as a new force for, for drama training. And I think at that time that was quite a presumptuous award <laughs> because we hadn't really, you know, we'd only, nobody had even graduated, really. Well, one year graduated. Um, but it... It, it seemed like all of a sudden there was a bit of a pressure of, well, I hope we are, because I don't believe you can show that until your graduates are out there working. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, it's, it's great that they all leave hopefully happy, healthy with the skill set, but unless they're working, it, it doesn't count for anything. Um, so that was lovely to receive and great to be recognised, and I think that's when we began to realise that it was innovative, because up until then, hadn't really sussed it. Mm-hmm. And personally, and again, because I spoke with this at the beginning, because I got so much flack for all the things that we did especially from the stage for it, which is obviously not from the stage, but from other people, that that did feel like a satisfactory closure to that episode of people saying that what we were doing was arrogant and wrong. and Because and, it wasn't. We were just trying to do things differently. We were doing it our way. Uh, and then in 2017, we won it again for the Time for Change Charter. 
And I think what was lovely about that was it also validated the 2012 one because what by that point the citation also said our graduates are out in the industry working in top jobs. And I think... Um, I don't necessarily think the top jobs is the relevant thing. I think actually you could have stopped that with our graduates are out in the industry working. However, it just felt like a nice, again, a nice closure to that one really of, okay, so we really did do things differently. Um, and I think we forget, we forget now how different it was when we started. So things like um, everybody talks about getting their students industry ready, but actually it, we were the first college to talk about that. And it, I take no credit for that. It was a guy called Toby Richards came up with um, industry-ready students. And now every college talks about their students are industry-ready. And it almost makes me laugh when I read it, because I just kind of... I remember distinctly the meeting when uh, he told me about it, and I thought, what a stupid phrase. Mm-hmm. And now like we all use it, so that that's really lovely. Uh, more and more colleges are seeing the importance of, of staff that are working. Um, and, you know, it's not a coincidence we were slated for that but now everybody talks about their staff that are working in the industry um so it's quite interesting seeing the things that we started actually spreading out into the industry and you know like we clearly took things from every other college when we started so it's quite nice to think that even in 10 years we've actually been able to give back um but it, it was lovely and it I, I think time the 2017 time we won was just nice because if I'm honest, personally, I'd taken such a battering over our mental health support um, and, and our mental health campaigning. It just felt like a, I'm not going to lie, it felt like a really big V sign to everybody that told me to shut up and stop talking about it. And it's like, well, everybody should be bloody talking about it now. And this proves it. I, d- I have to say it didn't really change anything. We still get flack for it, but but it doesn't matter. It does mean that the industry started to see it. And it's great now, isn't it? You see colleges and everybody talking a lot more about mental health mm-hmm. uh, because we've been doing this since 2009. It's not new to us. Yeah. And it's great to see people catching up. What advice would you offer, obviously a lot of students who are in training listen to this, what advice would you give to those students who are at different colleges and struggling with mental health? Go see a counsellor. Go and talk about it. Go and find out if you're okay. I think that's the most important thing. And there is nothing to be embarrassed about. So, you know... Most college, most colleges will have a physio attached or something like that, but it's it's like you think nothing about going to see that person to get a muscle sorted. What and your brain is so much more important than all your bloody muscles. Go and speak to somebody and find out because sometimes also you can be worried that you've got a mental illness and you haven't you you're just not not feeling so good about yourself, but you're not ill, so you just need a bit of talking therapy to get you sort of unhooked from your thought process. So, you know, don't be afraid of it. If you've got a mental illness, then it can be sorted. And if you haven't, lucky you, isn't it? So just go and talk and find out. But try to find somebody that understands the difference between you're feeling a bit fed up and you're not well. Because I think that's the thing. And I hope more and more, certainly a lot of Time for Change colleges have got uh, mental health first aiders around at the moment. So I... because that's the thing that concerns me a little bit, that people are going to counsellors that don't actually know when somebody's ill. It's very easy, I think, with a lot of illnesses to think it's something different and to think it's just everyday life, um, which is you know, why I think there should be more specialists in, in colleges. But go and talk anyway. Talking is always good. Yeah, that's what I would say.
So how can uh, professional actors get involved in Time for Change? Uh, go to the website. Go to the website and have a look at the charter. Go and look at the charter and just read it. I think that would be really good. Uh, and how can how can professionals help? Talk about it. Talk about it and, and ask your old colleges to sign up for the charter. And campaign. Campaign for better mental health. I think that's the thing. Like we we don't. Everybody talks about it. Like especially this week actually, because it was World Mental Health yeah. Day, wasn't it? And it was just fascinating. And reading, I still feel that people feel like they're confessing about mental health. Like reading everybody's tweets about you know this was their their story. It almost felt everybody was still apologising for it, as opposed to it's such an empowering thing to talk about it, and it, it will make you better. It's, you know, it's not the cure, but it will help. Mm-hmm. And until people campaign to make everybody think this is okay, I don't really see how it's going to change. And there are a lot of people, about lots of things actually in our industry, I think, there are a lot of people that just mouth off about everything, but they're not actually being proactive to change it. So I think campaigning for change is a much stronger place to be. So it's great when people are telling us their stories, but how about if they say that we need to do something as well? And I think that's what it needs. It needs more of a movement to demand change because at the moment it feels quite an isolated island that we live on trying to command it. Mm-hmm. And and there's a lot of really uh, influential people that have said that they've got mental illness, but they're just saying that they've got it in the, the to try to help everybody else think it's okay. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel that they could actually be campaigning for us to do more. Yeah. And that's where we need to get to. So I think as opposed to helping the individ- individual who comes out then and says it, because that's what it seems to feel like at the moment, we should be helping everybody and demanding change. Yeah. So obviously today we've spoken about Time for Change and the MTA. Um, we haven't necessarily talked about you and your background, but just you being the principal of the MTA, could you walk into a room today and say, I'm having a bit of a bad day, I'm having a bad mental health day? I think everybody should be able to walk into a room and say it. I don't think it's about what your position is or anything. Everybody should be able to go and say that it's not a good day. And whether that's mental health or whether that, that's just emotional health, I think everybody should be able to name it. So, yes, everybody should, definitely. Amazing. Right, so we're going to finish with a game of... Ooh, finish there. Sentence. Yes! Okay, so here we go. The MTA is... Unique. Today I'm grateful for life. In the mornings, I think. Why has my chil- why have my children woken me up so bloody early again? <laughs> what time do they wake you up at? I have a child that wakes me up at five o'clock most mornings. Oh I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't live without my children and my wife. Oh, gorgeous. In the future I want everybody to think that mental health is the same as physical health hallelujah my guilty pleasure is too many jammy dodgers (laughs) i'm going to have another one after this (laughs) last one time for change is going to hopefully start a conversation that needs to be had it absolutely will i really hope it does I think it will. I think it will. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie, for 
inviting us to the wonderful MTA and to chat with you. It's been such a great conversation and I can't wait for everyone to hear um, this, what you've been talking about. Thank you very much. If you would like to be featured on the podcast or you just have any thoughts that you'd like to share with us, please email us. We are on industrymindsuk at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at industrymindsuk. We are on Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud. Please make sure you subscribe and give us a wee cheeky five stars if you like what you hear. Thank you so much for listening and we will be back very, very soon. Bye. 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 <laughs>